You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Hi there, everybody. My name is Danny Anderson, and welcome to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. Now, today's episode is going to focus on a mini controversy from early June, or July, I believe, when uh, Mere Orthodoxy published an essay by Brad East called Against Pop Culture. In the essay, East argues, or at least seems to, that Christians should not partake in pop culture as an essential part of their Christian practice. And the piece, as you can imagine, was heavily commented on in social media, including by yours truly, uh, given the interest of this show, and became one of those, quote, internet things for a couple of days. The next day, East tagged me and a couple of other, or a few other people in a Twitter post that linked to a kind of clarification piece that he wrote. And between the two essays, I think there's a lot to talk about here at the Sectarian Review as this gets into a lot of the things we're normally interested in here, uh, theology, pop culture, politics, and everything. Uh, and joining me to do this is our, our good friend, Coyle Neal. Coyle, how's it going? Uh, it's going well, Danny. How are you? I am doing okay. It's uh, the near the end of summer as we're recording. I think, what is this, August 9th? Um, who knows when this will be released? But uh, And so I have, like, I'm trying to record, like, 10,000 podcasts this next couple of weeks and I'm writing some things that I'm trying to get done uh, today or tomorrow and and I have a few syllabi to write and that kind of thing as we start in like three weeks but uh, but I'm doing okay how are you uh, yeah fine we actually start in like a week and two days or whatever so we're uh, uh, my, my syllabi writing is coming to an end our president um, decided that some research shows that for our students, which are very kind of working class students, um, perfect for me, of course, uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, the research seems to suggest that if you start before other schools start, they have more of a chance of not coming um, because they don't want to be the first people in their town to leave for school. And so we've moved our start date down back to like the 29th, I think, um, uh, maybe the 26th, excuse me. Um, and so, um, yeah, we're, we don't start classes until the end of August, which is nice. Yeah, my, my undergrad has, when I was there and down to this day, pretty faithfully started the day after Labor Day. Yeah. And that's just, that that has always been the case. And I, I think that goes back to the old days when it was mostly farm kids coming into the University of Wyoming. Yeah. And I, I, that sounds much more reasonable to me, but uh, uh, at SBU now we have a J term. So we, we have to start early because our January term starts. So starts. it's called the January term. It starts in, you know, December or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I know that where Nathan Gilmore is at Emanuel College, uh, my old school as well, uh, they've uh, since I've left have a, uh, December term. And so Nathan starts all, I mean, he's already started, uh, like I think his, uh, his, uh, his semester starts at the beginning of August in Georgia, which is amazing. So, um, well, you live in a place where there's no winter. It makes sense that you might as well just 
have school whenever because it's always summer. So who cares? Uh, there, there's something to be said for there. I think you're right. Um, yeah, we're actually, uh, I know this is riveting conversation <laughs> for, for everybody <laughs> listening, but uh, it's not unrelated. We will be talking about education. Uh, and we actually are, I think this year, we're not starting our spring. Uh, spring semester until after Martin Luther King Day. That's a that's a new policy. Um, instead of trying to figure out when to give Martin Luther King Day off, we're just going to start the day after Martin Luther King Day. Uh, and so, which is which is uh, a really good solution to that problem. So, um, um, and then we we always have a traditional um, uh, Martin Luther King Week uh, at, at our college. So we'll just sort of begin with that. So I think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. So, um, well. Uh, before we get start talking about the actual subject, I just a couple of quick announcements. Um, one, you know, there's the Patreon out there. Uh, I really do appreciate those of you who have joined up with that. Um, I'm giving you some behind the scenes stuff. I'm recording this Skype call. You can see Coil Neal's uh, bookcase uh, full of uh, styrofoam coffee cups and, <laughs> and books about Play-Doh and, uh, and whatnot. And so, or is that Philo? I can't read. Uh, Play-Doh, not Play-Doh. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's a follow-up thing too. <laughs> That's what's standing out to me. Um, so please, uh, if you want that kind of thing, plus a little bonus uh, audience uh, at the end of every episode or nearly every episode, uh, you can sign up at Patreon. I really do appreciate that. Like I said, it helps me pay the bills. I did this last time I recorded an episode. If I move my microphone, you can hear this little uh, clicking. I kind of need some new cables and uh, that kind of thing helps uh, keep this uh, little cost neutral for me. So um, the other announcement that I want to make is in November, November 9th of 2019, the place where I work is Mount Aloysius College in Pennsylvania. We're kind of near Altoona and Johnstown. Uh, we are hosting our annual uh, charity pop culture convention. We call it the Mac Charity Con. And, uh, and this year um, we're going to be doing that again. It's grown every year. I think there's going to be a bigger uh, slew of vendors there this year. There'll be more um, discussion or more, uh, uh, academic panels. I will be recording a podcast and I suspect other people will be too from the floor. So, um, I really, if you're anywhere in local, it's a really fun thing to take the kids to. And, uh, and if you want to, uh, present an academic paper at this conference, um, that's a possibility too. I will try to remember this time to put a link on the show notes. I think I forgot to do that with the last episode. Um, but I will try to remember, put a link for the charity con on the show notes. And, uh, another con I want to sort of pump a little bit, um, is Theocon spelled with, uh, the Greek, uh, is that a theta? The O is that? Okay. Uh, that's, so it looks like OEO con, but it's a Theocon. Um, that is September 28th at 2019. And that's going to be at Messiah college near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and Mechanicsburg. Um, and that is, uh, the home of John Fia, uh, the, uh, the great, uh, Christian historian and who's been on this show before. I'm going to try and, uh, maybe meet up with him when I'm there. I'm going to, I haven't asked him that yet, but I would like to meet him in person. Um, but the, uh, that's going to be September 28th of 2019. This is something that, um, Matthew Brake of pop culture and theology is a big advocate advocate for, and he's helping to kind of, um, uh, plan. And so, um, I really want to get as many people there as possible for him. Um, I will be recording a show there about Jordan Peele, uh, and the horror films of Jordan Peele. And so, um, and there'll be other things, a lot of other really cool stuff there. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I'll put a link to that up there as well. So, um, all right. Uh, any questions to coil, anything you want to plug? Nope. You gotta- oh, I, I guess I should plug the city of man podcast but, 
I'm not going to. So, you know. <laughs> I will. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And uh, I'm just listening. As we record today, you just released something on um, impeachment. And I think I've, I just started listening to it. It's really, really great. Um, I loved your conversation about tenure. We mentioned that in our conversation about Christian colleges, which you got wrapped up into a little bit because we, we quoted something that you... <laughs> So now you and Ed are fighting on my Facebook Facebook page, um, <laughs> which is makes me very happy. I don't know what to say about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, we'll have to get Ed Song to join us on this show sometime, too. Um, I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. So, um, yeah, but definitely listen to the City of Man podcast. Um, and as you will, all the podcasts of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. So um, before we get into the weeds of uh, philosophy and theology and pop culture, though, uh, can we summarize the main points of East's article and try as much as we can to keep his follow-up out of it? Because I think part of the controversy was that it wasn't entirely clear what he was trying to do in the original, right? So, uh, Coyle, do you want to, like, uh, your takeaways? Yeah, and, and obviously if we... Uh... If we bring the follow-up in, then this article is kind of a giant nothing. Uh, so, uh, uh, it, it really is more fun to take it in isolation. Uh, so, so he asks, uh, this is a, a quote from the article, and, and of course, summarizing a blog post is always a challenge anyway, because they're yeah. just kind of free-willing whatever. But uh, uh, he asks, why should Christians like, love, or engage with pop culture? I don't think there are many, or perhaps any, good answers to that question. And then he, he sort of... Uh, uh, says, well, maybe it's an, an overreaction to fundamentalist upbringings, you know, you're, and the, I think he specifically cites uh, your, your raise not being allowed to watch The Lion King because uh, it's Disney and, you know, whatever reason there was for opposing Disney in the 90s, uh, they, because they sponsored the Ellen DeGeneres show was the one I remember. I believe um, that's true. That was an ABC show. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And, uh, uh, and then you actually wa- encounter The Lion King in college and you're like, man, this is an amazing movie. Why was I not allowed to watch this? And they're even sort of crypto christian themes in it and i mean I, I, all sorts of things uh, uh so that's one possibility uh or maybe you're just going along with the the sort of seduction of mainstream culture uh uh he points out that those aren't really reasons they're just kind of explanations for for why it's happening really he says and again another quote uh pop culture is convenient uh uh uh, what does he say? Pop culture is convenient, diverting, entertaining, uh, and socially rewarding. Uh, Christians with an audience uh, fall into that and then either rationalize it uh, or try to fill it with meaning that it doesn't have. Both of those things, he says, are dead ends. Uh, or they try to put it to work for, for better purposes, uh, which is usually a dead end. Not, not always, but usually a dead end. Uh, and the reality, he says, is that there is always something better to do than pop culture. And he gives uh, a list of the things that are better to do. You know, go for a walk, uh, read a book, uh, learn a foreign language, uh, play a musical instrument. I mean, any, any number of things that are better than pop culture. Uh, and then he he goes on. I don't know if it's a tangent or again it's a blog post. So maybe there are no tangents in blog posts. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, this has been really destructive in the uh, in the classroom, right? Uh, uh, the uh, the entertainment culture in general, uh, I think, is is more what he's talking about there than any specific aspect of pop culture. Uh, but he he cites Neil Postman, uh, which is always a good thing to do, I think, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, talks about the effect that that's had on students and how it's the job of Christians and especially Christian educators to sort of stand in the gap uh, and uh, not encourage them to turn on Twitter or Netflix, but to put those things away and, you know, actually read a book from cover to cover and not just assume that they can't because they've never done it before. Yeah. So. 
that that was that's kind of my summary of the uh, of the article. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And we're going to have definitely questions focused on the educational part of this. And that reading a book from cover to cover thing, that is something that I hear here a lot um, from people who think we should make them read a book just because they haven't read a book before. Um, and, and I don't know. I feel like our students do. I mean, everyone has to take an upper level English class where I work. And and so, I mean, they're supposed to at least. <laughs> and and I think the vast majority of my students read at least one of the books that uh, that I assign. But, uh, but yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so I think that uh, one, the only thing I would add to uh, what you how you summarize the article is that he goes on a, I think a pretty insightful again tangent another sub another subplot of this uh, essay has to do with the kind of mechanics of binge watching and and how that uh, sort of just kind of lulls you into the stream of pop culture and and it can be just sort of you have no context for where you are in that stream after a while right you sort of lose uh any ability to discern um because you're just sort of caught up in these automatically playing next episodes and and i think there's something to that of all the um, elements of this essay that to me was the most um, compelling is that uh, it's very easy to sit down and hit an episode of The Office or whatever you're watching, and seven hours later you haven't gotten off the couch, right? And so um, this isn't, of course, unique to Netflix, which is his kind of avatar for all of these services, right? Um, right? Because, I mean, I remember HGTV has done this for years, right? The next episode begins before the closing credits of the last episode, right? And so um, they, they keep you glued to the television for uh, as long as they can. And so that's it looks different in, in the binge environment. But um, uh, And I think that that was actually a kind of compelling part of this essay for me. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I... I uh... I guess I got that more from the follow-up than from the original essay, but I, I, I mean, it was there. Maybe uh, I am conflating them. Uh, that is entirely possible. Um, uh, yeah. well, I'm looking at the one uh, paragraph here. Any and all libertarian in the sense of philosophy and of the will's freedom, not, not big right. L political libertarianism, right. um, Christian accounts of pop culture, Netflix, social media, fail at just this point because they view individuals as choosers who operate neutrally with options arrayed before them, one in which our day happens to be flipping Netflix on or not and deciding what to watch a meaty substantive film instead of binging bite-sized candy bar TV. But that is not an accurate depiction of the situation. Netflix is, uh, and he has a rejoinder here, um, is a principality and a power as is the enormous flat screen television set. I, this, um, to me, I, I, he's getting at the, uh, the, the stuff from James Smith's, um, kind of, uh, cultural liturgies project. You have this, um, worship setting that people don't realize that it's a liturgy. Right. And and I think that, um, that's what he's, that's how I'm taking that at least. And, and I think there's something really compelling about that. Sure. No, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and particularly from the educational standpoint, I know that a lot of my students, they go to their rooms and they start binging Netflix and, Next thing you know, I didn't have time to do my paper, right? (laughs) So because seven hours disappeared on me. And so I think that is a legitimate point. Um, Go ahead. I I will say the students that I have, and I think this is to their credit, the students that I have, when I ask, you know, what are you binging these days for for television? The students who tend not to be are actually the athletes. 
and it's uh, because they are, you know, at practice or playing a game or uh, in the weight room or doing the things that you have to do to be an athlete. So yeah. that that is uh, that is one of the ways. And you know, I guess you can quote me out of context on this if you want. You got me on video. Uh, <laughs> one of the ways in which uh, college athletics is actually good for the university is uh, it uh, it prevents those habits in some students, or at least pushes them back until so late at night that you know, yeah, um, they're not going to get their homework done anyway. Yeah. I'm I'm totally going to cut that out. College athlete athletics is good for the university. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, no, that's yeah, that's fine. In, the, in that one sense, yes. <laughs> but but I will say this is one of my complaints actually about the original essay, and and I think he probably, if I remember right, does um, address this in in the follow up. But he, I feel like he's picking on this when I think that someone who is obsessed with sports is no less distracting themselves from important things, right? Um, by working out and practicing all day, it's just aimed at a different thing that is still not the thing you should be aiming it at, right? Um, and so, um, I, I mean, mean I, I, there's I, I, physical uh, fitness, I suppose, but that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I, uh, I think that we should probably draw a distinction between uh, watchers of sports and people who actually play sports, uh, so if you are an athlete, I think there is a kind of virtue attached to that. And honestly, I, I uh, to make myself unpopular with with all of our, our Christian academic listeners, I think sports should actually be ob- uh, obligatory at college. Like I think you should be required to participate in, in an athletic event of some kind. Uh, but I also think they should all be intramural uh, instead of competitive. Uh, so, yeah, I think there there is a virtue that comes with teamwork and playing the games and winning and losing appropriately and, and all of those sorts of things. Uh, but you're right. I, I, at the, uh, the college sports level, of course it becomes an idol also, uh, because it's no longer just about playing the game and physical excellence and so on. It's, it's now about money and it's now about, uh, uh, you know, the, the trophy that no one ever actually wins and the merchandise that no one ever actually buys and sinking lots of money into that world-class football field that, you know, 30 people go to the game to watch and yeah. yeah, I'm reminded in that sense of our Christian colleges episode, a few episodes ago where, um, there was that, that Christian college in Cincinnati, which I can't remember the name of now. It might be called Cincinnati Christian college. Um, I'm sure that's not it, but, um, they, that was their problem. They tried to build the university around a football team and it basically, um, has almost sunk them into oblivion. Um, and yeah, I think that's, um, my big fear with football particularly, but, um, but yeah, so I, but I do think that, um, binge watching is one thing that is destructive for the human imagination. Okay. Let me put it in that way. Uh, and in the Christian imagination, but I don't think it's the only thing. And I don't think that it's, um, necessarily even worse than someone who only wants to play ball all the time. Right. Um, and so, um, that's my uh, that's my little take on that. Um, but let, let me move to the follow up with our second question here. Um, East tries to clarify that he was not against pop culture per se, and he actually presents evidence. I mean, he's published on things like the Cohen Brothers and things like that, and he provides links to all that, right? Um, but rather, he, there seems to be a movement for him within Christianity that supposedly pressures people into consuming more pop culture. Okay, um, and, and so. What do you make of this idea? Because it was kind of surprising to me because that's not been my experience at all. Like I don't, I didn't detect this kind of pressure to watch Game of Thrones, right? From Christians, right? I, 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 I feel like he might be inhabiting a different sphere of Christianity than I am. 
I mean, so I was I was thinking about that. Yeah, and his response is basically he was writing this to people who say we must imbibe pop culture. Yeah. Right? Uh, and uh, I was trying to think, well, who who says that? And uh, the the only things I could think of, if you go back and read the the original fundamentals that were assembled by R. A. Tory, um, I think uh, I don't know if they ever explicitly say that, but I think that's a perfectly logical conclusion from the the original text of go out and sort of mix it up with the culture you know watch movies and then go talk to your non-christian neighbors about the movie and and uh uh they uh i mean they're they, when they're talking about that they're they're using science uh so it's go out and get your degree in biology and then go and tackle evolution don't don't uh don't try to just run at this without any kind of training in it so i think you could translate that over and say all right this applies to culture too uh uh francis schaefer was very big on this mm. uh uh, of course, he was in a different setting, both culturally and uh, chronologically. You know, the 60s in Switzerland was a different place than uh, whatever we're in now, the the 20 teens in the United States. Uh, but he was also big on, yeah, you you watch movies and, and you listen, to, especially listening to music, because that's that's what they had available um, and, and read novels and such. Uh, and then uh, he's got a little book on art that kind of makes that argument. Uh I don't remember what it's like Christians and art or Christianity and art or something like that. Uh, and beyond that, I mean, there, there may be out there in sort of fuzzy evangelical dumb, uh, Christian writers, uh, who are putting out stuff or preachers who are saying, Hey, you should be doing whatever. But the, the idea of one of them saying you must do that, that that's where I would be hesitant. Maybe those people exist, and I've just not encountered them. Uh, but even someone like David French, uh, who uh, is one of the National Review writers, who is a hardcore Game of Thrones uh, fan, like he, I think he blogged his way on National Review through it. Uh, <laughs> even he never said everyone should be watching this. It was just, I'm watching this, therefore, here are my thoughts. Yeah. So. I have not encountered such people. Uh, it doesn't mean they don't exist, uh, but it, it means they at least don't exist in the uh, the the piece of pie of evangelicaldom that I'm familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of is, I mean, and he does at one point in one of the essays. I, again, I'm sorry, uh, Brad East, if you were listening to this, um, I'm conflating both essays simultaneously in my head. It's hard not to. Um, but somewhere in there, she, he read wrote that. It's almost like a sign of hipster cred. Uh, he might not have used those terms, but they're, they're sort of like this millennial um, Christian who um, tries to kind of show relevance in some ways um, by dropping references to these things and, and that kind of thing. So I think that's it. And I can see in certain like prominent like publications like Think Christian and um, certainly Christ in Pop Culture, right? Um, right. These are, these are places where serious Christians are having a public forum and they are entirely centered around pop cultural um, topics. Right. Um, and so I can, I, if that's what he's talking about, I can sort of see it and it could be very well. My confusion about this could be very well. I grew up in as a Nazarene and, and I am now a Nazarene again. And um, it, it's a very much a holiness tradition. And so it's like antithetical to the way I've always been. I've always felt like a, a total by as someone who is completely immersed in pop culture myself. Um, I've always felt like such a heathen. <laughs> 
for doing so, right? I have never been celebrated for doing so uh, from within my own church tradition. And so um, that to me, it was just kind of alien. And it could be my age as well. I'm, I'm not a millennial. I'm an Xer, right? And so I, I right. could be coming from a different, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it may be that there's uh, there's market pressure. Uh, so I, I, th- I think that this market has declined in recent years. Uh, but I know there used to be a pretty robust market uh, out there for, uh, you know, the, the new Superman movie is out. So we're going to write a bunch of sermons yeah. and sell them to preachers. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, we're, we're going to include, you know, clips that you can show in your church service and, and, and that sort of thing. So maybe publishers, maybe he's getting materials from, from, uh, promotional companies saying, Hey, uh, here's a, here's a sermon series on, I assume not game of Thrones, but, uh, yeah. uh, whatever, whatever the, the big, I don't, I don't even know. I'm so I'm out of touch with contemporary pop culture and I'm sort of immersed in pop culture from five years ago or 10 years ago because I have kids. So yeah. that's what we have to do. Yeah, there is a, I actually talked about this on a podcast. I cannot remember which podcast it was. This came across my radar. There is a company that is kind of a liaison for film production companies that do reach out to, um, Christian writers uh, to get them to um, cover the, the movie from a Christian perspective as it's coming out. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I remember the example that I, I, I dug up was there was a very clear, I can't remember what movie it was now. Uh, some movie came out and um, someone, Jonathan Merritt had written about this movie. And when you look at the credits uh, for the photos and that they were provided by this company, right? And so it was clearly uh, a situation that was set up for Christians so uh, to write about pop culture uh, for the purpose of marketing that co- pop culture to Christians, right? And so that, that was a really an interesting um, uh discovery on my part. I can't remember what it was. This was a couple of years now that I, I, I ago that I, I ran across this. Um, if anybody is listening and you remember what episode that was, um, feel free to, uh, to let us know. Um, um, the other thing I do want to say though, um, where I think that there's some validity to what he's saying, I do it. The critique of so let me, first of all, where I disagree is I don't know how to talk to people if I don't, if I'm no, if I don't know what they're interested in, all right. And so when I'm out about in town here, I keep up with football, even though I don't really care that much, because everyone here like likes to talk about that, and it gives me something to say to them when I'm when I when I meet up with them, right? Um, and and that kind of it, to me, it's like a way of expanding my vocabulary so that I can talk to more people. I certainly there are some people around here that I have no idea what to say to, but uh, but there are people who uh, I have found ways to talk to them at their level and not in any, 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 in any evangelistic way, but um, just as a human way of making connection. Right. And so I've, I don't watch, I've never seen game of Thrones, but I read about it every week when it was coming out and I would watch the clips that everybody was talking about on the daily beast or whatever, so that I could have that conversation with my colleagues or whoever, right. Who were watching this. Um, And so I think on some level, I disagree um, with the partake with his argument against partaking pop culture on that moral level. Right. Um, but I do also think that there is something to be said for the pointlessness of it. And I think that's kind of what he's saying. Cause I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking about 
sort of youth ministry and how um, you want to make youth ministry an attractive place to be. So you basically make your youth groom into some sort of like fun zone, right? With, <laughs> with uh, climbing walls and trampolines and, and, and disco lights and all this kind of thing. Right. Uh, and I don't think there's any evidence that that has had any kind of positive impact on actual discipleship. Um, uh, Maybe I'm being a a codger here. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? I I mean, you're, well, my, my thoughts on youth ministry are someday I will write an essay called against youth ministry (laughs) uh, because it needs to go away. Uh, And I don't mean like the nursery. Like I, I think a room for newborns and infants and toddlers is probably fine. But honestly, I think by the time a kid is four or five, with the exception of some kids who have, uh, who have, you know, issues, uh, by the time a kid's four or five, they should be able just to sit through a church service. Yeah. And you don't need a special ministry for them. Just the ministry of the church is fine. Uh, and if you don't have like a Sunday school class or whatever, that's, that's different. But I mean, during the church service, yeah, that's, that's, I'm I'm very much on I'm very much on board with the the older method of everyone's in the church together. Uh, but that's that's a different that's not what you're asking about. Uh, Uncomfortable uh, wooden pews, like uh, someone. That's <laughs> together and people can stand. Uh, no air conditioning. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm putting words in your mouth. Part of the country you're in. Uh, there's a, there's some great paintings of the uh, the Dutch church from the 1600s. People like show up with their dogs. And uh, there, there are no pews, and everyone just stands around and listens to the, the preacher. Um, I'm sure in some ways it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in terms of pop culture, so, yeah, I mean, obviously there's there's got to be some kind of nuance there. There are some things that Christians obviously cannot or should not in good conscience participate in. So the entire world of pornography, right, uh, that that sliver of pop culture is off limits. And I say sliver when it's, you know, something it's what, like, 80% of the population indulges in. So, uh, uh, that, that significant portion of the culture is off limits to us. Uh, however much it might give us something to talk to our friends and neighbors about. Um, uh, I teach at a Christian school, but I, I assume that that's still not, you know, a good secular conversation. Yeah. Uh, that actually, I don't want to interrupt you, but, um, that actually reminds me, have you ever seen the movie or read the book, um, the ice storm? Um, Uh, it's a Rick Moody book. Um, and, and there was a really excellent movie, uh, with like Sigourney Weavers in it and, uh, Kevin Klein and, and, um, but there's like a, it takes place in the seventies in this very sort of like, uh, elite suburb. And there's a, a, a priest, a preacher, uh, a minister of the town who wants to like get to know his sheep. And so he like shows up at a swingers party, <laughs> It's like, uh, and, and he gets like really shamed about it by, uh, by the, by the main character of the movie. Uh, and so, yeah, that's sort of what I'm reminded about with the, with the pornography thing. Excellent movie, by the way. <laughs> I have never heard of it. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take your word for yeah, that. Very good uh, movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so, you know, uh, stepping, stepping back from that right there, there are some things that it's obviously fine. Some parts of pop culture that are, uh, perfectly acceptable, uh, to, uh, to, to participate in. And uh, some parts of it that I think are probably best left to conscience. Uh, so a friend of mine who teaches at, a, at another Christian university put up on Facebook the other day how he had taken a day off and watched uh, the new Amazon series, The Boys. Yeah. And he was uh, very upset about the portrayal of Christians in that movie. And someone came on and, and pointed out, look, this, this movie is full of sex and violence and profanity. And your takeaway is they say untrue things about Christians. Uh, and uh, 
I think there there is something to that, but I, I I also think there you're kind of in that category of that's kind of on every every individual Christian's conscience, right? Can I can I watch that series or not? Well, that's 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 not something there's going to be a universal rule for. Yeah. Uh, I would say there should be no universal rule saying you should watch it, but yeah, whether can's different. Yeah, that I mean, I, later on I had a question, so let me just read that question now, and we can expand on this. Um, as you, since you brought it up, um, talking about content, I'm actually fairly liberal <laughs> with regard to watching things like horror, for example. Um, but there's a debate amongst Christians about such things. Um, I, and I guess I've always resisted, and maybe I, I have to. I've always tried to be aware of my own biases and, and why I think what I think and, and my own kind of um, weaknesses in that way. And certainly some of my f- whatever, maybe flaunting of freedom uh, with these issues comes as a reaction against growing up as a Nazarene when we weren't allowed to go to movie theaters. Right. And so, um, and so maybe I'm, I'm overreacting to certain things um, and, and I'm willing to accept that criticism. Um, but I've always kind of rejected the be careful little eyes what you see argument, right? I don't think that's even biblical per se, I think, because um, it it says in the in the scriptures themselves that um, what you intake into your body isn't what makes you evil. It's what comes out of it, right? And so, um, but that said, I do think that what is in our body is somewhat in dialogue with the things that we consume, right? Um, and so uh, you don't believe then that there's any kind of like, rule about watching a show like the boys, which I have not seen yet. Um, I've not seen. Um, um, uh, so, so again, I, I think the rule is, is going to be, uh, if it is something that is going to cause you to sin, you shouldn't do it. And, and that's, uh, that is to some extent just going to be different for different people. I'm, I'm not someone who's tempted by alcohol. Uh, so if I were, and if there were a movie where, the hero is a, or a TV series or whatever, where the, the hero is perpetually drinking and that's going to cause issues for me. I would say I shouldn't watch it. I, I would say in that case, uh, I, I, it is, it is something I should step away from. So, you know, Archer probably shouldn't be on my, uh, uh on my, my, uh, was it Netflix queue, Hulu queue, whatever, whatever it is. I don't okay. even remember anymore. There's so many of these. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I think that it's just going to depend, just going to depend on whatever. So I, I have, a, I, uh, I know a, a Christian who profanity is what it is for them. Like when, when they are around it, they then start to swear. Hmm. So they, they just, they cannot watch movies or TV with profanity in them. Uh, and, and they will usually say, yeah, it's fine if you want to, I, I can't do that because then I will, I will end up doing the same thing. Yeah. So individual, individual wisdom is, is probably the, the best guide here. And I would, I certainly don't disagree with that. I certainly don't disagree with that. Um, but I, I do think that's kind of hard to monitor in practice, though, because um, because of sure. the, and this is the, the the ubiquity of pop culture, right? It's it's okay. it's the water we're swimming in, to use David Foster Wallace's um, analogy in that speech of his, right? Um, and so it's you're unaware of the effect that some of these things are is having on you, right? Um, and oh, so, sure, sure, sure. And and obviously, uh, you you can't police the stuff you're unaware of. Yeah. Uh, but you can police the stuff you are aware of. So so again, if I'm uh, especially especially now with with the internet, it is so easy to look up on you know IMDb what what is the amount of profanity in this thing that I'm going in for? Just to stick with that as as an example, right? Uh, 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 is is it going to 
does it sound like it's going to kind of hit the tipping point for me or does it sound like it, it, it'll be fine? Yeah. And, uh, I, I could do my due diligence on that uh, and make a decision and say, yeah, it sounds fine. I'm going to watch it or no. Uh, it sounds like I, I might cause some problems for myself. So I'm not going to. Yeah. And I guess this is where I, I, I fall into it. Like sometimes I think it's good to run up against things that offend you in that way. And, and I guess you're talking about something slightly different. You're talking yeah, about something. Like, yeah. Causing me to sin is different there than. than yeah. But if someone is prone to swearing or something like that, right. Um, and yet they have other personality flaws that kind of also inhibit their personal development. Um, like I think, let me, let me just sort of tell the story. I have a thing that's about to come out. I wrote a thing about once upon a time in Hollywood, um, that's going to come out, uh, and sound the sirens here pretty soon. And that movie to me is like, I'm not a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. I'm kind of over Quentin Tarantino. Um, this movie was in very profound for me. Right. Um, and the, the angle I took on it was the main character, Leonardo DiCaprio's character has this, um, he's constructed like a false sense of, he's constructed a product to sell rather than a person, like rather than a personal identity. Okay. And his stunt double is part of enabling that product. Right. And so the, the disentangling him from his stump double in that movie has a really ethical role. That movie's full of profanity. Now it is not near as is in nowhere near as violent as Quentin Tarantino movies normally are. Right until the end, sure. there's a significant violence at the very end of the movie. But um, before that, there's literally no violence. Nothing happens other than um, a lot of swearing, though. Okay, um, and so I feel like that movie could be good for someone who's dealing who, who doesn't know that they have like um wasted their life uh constructing a false version of themselves um and if they but they wouldn't get that kind of insight without putting up with the swearing like like so what do you do in that kind of a situation yeah i mean they're they're presumably you're you're assuming that you have to watch this movie in order to make that realization i, guess I am yeah and uh i I don't know that that's true of any bit of pop culture. So I guess here I'm, I'm agreeing with this essay, yeah. right? Uh, I, I, uh, pop culture is nice. It is never necessary. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and again, with, with the initial essay, uh, excluding the follow-up, uh, my initial reaction was, well, I guess this guy's never heard of common grace. Uh, the, the other side of that is, uh, yeah, common, common grace is, has a very limited uh, level of importance and, and I, I wouldn't want to puff it up too much the other way either. We, we live in kind of in between these boundaries, right? Where we, uh, uh, we, we want to admit that pop culture has a legitimate function. Uh, and sometimes it's a good function. Sometimes it's a bad function. Uh, but we, we also don't want to overstate that function. Right. Uh, uh if, uh, if the only way you're going to realize that you're building a false self whether or not you've watched this movie probably isn't your biggest problem anyway. True. True. Um, and, and I get, I wrote a, a while back now when it came out, I, I specifically recommended Christians go see it because of what it, um, uh, kind of said about, um, like generational sin and, um, the way in sure. which, yeah, uh, we kind of leave out the losers. Right. And so, um, uh, and I, got, I took some blowback on that, on the whole be careful little eyes, what you see. Um, I guess when I wrote that, I didn't necessarily 
mean that everyone should do it. Although that was literally the theme. <laughs> that was literally the name of the essay, Chris, why Christians should see it. Right. And so, um, yeah, I guess, so maybe I have fallen into the trap that East is, <laughs> maybe I've actually been part of the problem now that you think well, about it. I, I guess sorry. when I make those recommendations though, I try to have a caveat. I mean, I try to understand that horror, for example, is not everybody's thing, right? Some people just have anxiety sure. issues that they can't deal with horror, right? And so my embrace of it, I innately know it's not for everybody, and I kind of don't really expect everybody to uh, to watch it. So when I write something like that or when I, when I make those kinds of suggestions, what I am trying to say is that don't write this off because it seems like it's out of the out of the realm of propriety. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and and uh, you know, so I'm I am not a pastor, and uh, this is in in no way my area of expertise. But I I also think there's there's something to be said for the the self knowledge that uh, if if I if I watch this thing, it's going to actually make me sin versus if I watch this thing and it's going to uh, uh, make me feel unclean, I guess, if, if that makes sense. So again, with the, the stick with the profanity example, because it's, it's the easy one. Uh, my, 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 this Christian I know who, who doesn't watch movies, they will, they will actually start swearing. Like, like it will, it will reenter their language and then they will have to fight a long uphill battle uh, to, to get that out of the, the words that they speak to other people. Yeah. Uh, or to their themselves when they're you know in in private and stub their toe or whatever. Uh, I feel like with horror movies, I'm I'm unlikely to go out and chop up a bunch of people with an axe if I watch a <laughs> horror movie. Uh, True enough. <laughs> so there there there's also that distinction uh, that that has to be taken into account. Uh, uh, so yeah, there, there's a lot to think about the, with, with this uh, with with whatever pop culture issue we're talking about. Yeah, and and in that way, I have come to really appreciate this essay. Um, if if East is listening and he still he's made it this far, I really have. Um, I. I change i i understand what he was trying to say now uh i think a little bit more and i think that there is enough nuance there to sort of um kind of temper these sort of un unreflected upon impulses to just do the hot take on um there are certain publications that i won't name names that um that really do just kind of boil all pop culture they just run it through this like christian review got grinder right you know um and i think i made a joke one time like that i i haven't seen this in a uh in the magazine i'm not t- going to mention but it's like something that would be in there it's like what rebecca black's friday can teach us about honoring the sabbath right you know it's like <laughs> it's just using every sort of little thing as an excuse to say the most banal thing about christianity right i, w- I will confess i've been guilty of that uh i write for patheos sometimes okay uh and uh I do it solely to get free books yeah. and that's the cost. Like that's the price I pay. So I try to only say true things. Yeah. 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 I did well, not even yeah. know that you had that blog until recently. There's no reason to know that. I, you should, <laughs> you should promote yourself. You're, you're awesome, man. No, so. I, again, I, I really do just do that. So I get free books and, <laughs> Uh, occasionally, the occasional, actually I get the occasional profiles interview out of it too. So, well, if more people read it, then you'll get more free books. Look at it that way. If more so. people read it, I'd have to do a better job at it. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to just do, this is what, you know, Rebecca Blacks can teach us about the, the Sabbath or whatever. Um, yeah. I didn't do that one, but, uh, no, that's, that's not out of line for 
what gets posted there. And my point for bringing that up was basically there is a very dumb version of Christian engagement with pop culture. It's like looking for the most, I mean, the famous example that everybody complains about is looking for the most kind of banal version of a Christ symbol. Right. And it it really gets nowhere beyond the fact that, you know, sacrifice is good. Right. And so, um, that, that's, uh, um, kind of the most boring, uh, way to do it, but it almost, these essays kind of write themselves in a lot of ways when you have that kind of, um, committed position that you're bringing to anything you watch. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll defend that to some extent. Like I, I think, uh, and uh, I'm trying to, I don't remember the author, uh, but there's a book called From Homer to Harry Potter uh, that's a more robust version of that. But but his argument is sort of the Lewis and Tolkien argument of, look, Christians have the the true story that all good stories are, are going to be sort of poor reflections of or, or reverberations of uh, removed from in the culture, but still removed from. Yeah. Right? So, so our, uh, our understanding of that true story uh, then informs our reading of these other stories. And I think it's fine to point that out, but you're right. It can be, it can be not very well done or just kind of slapped off and posted yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Um, and let me actually use this as a chance to um, distinguish what this is doing. So, I mean, you know, a friend of the show, Matthew Brake um, runs pop culture and theology right now. This is a less evangelistic. This is more uh theology and as a almost anthropological uh, uh, exercise, right? This is not having an evangelistic uh, sort of purpose to it, unlike things like um, Christ in pop culture, uh, which has this kind of clear um, kind of stance of, about orthodoxy, right? Um, and so there's a, a way in which what Brake does is, um, is, I think, a way to get around this is you have, it's a much more sort of academic approach to, um, to pop culture. And that's why I like, you know, working with him and writing with him as well. Um, but, um, so I feel like that's slightly different than what we're talking about here, right. Which is a way in which, um, and I think what East is ultimately getting at here is that there's a way in which our discourse about pop culture and the way we make it seem like it's something you have to do is entirely corollary to having fog machine, fog machines in a church service and, and rock, rock music, right? It's a way in which we're deluding ourselves that by um, making what we do that by thinking that making what we do relevant to contemporary trends is actually reaching anybody for anything. Right. Um, and I think that I, I'm, I agree with him on that level very strongly. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I guess if that's going to get us into the, uh, the, the next questions, yeah, the, the effects of pop culture in general, right. Without, without mentioning any specific thing, you know, in pop culture. Yeah. Those have been devastating on the church, on education, on, basically every aspect of human life, the family. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, uh, it's, it's an atrocity and yes, not just Christians, but anyone who's concerned about the future should be stopping that or working to stop that. Yeah. And, and here's where I, I become like this Adorno snob or something. Right. Um, but I, I, I do think that there is room. I, I, I think 
All right. I mean, I don't know how to say this. I, I re- there's another spinoff episode that I don't know when it's going to come out, but it's related to this. I recorded a show in conjunction with the Vox Popcast at the Wizard Con that they held in Pittsburgh, a kind of about defending pop culture, right? And it was all very, that episode is all very kind of glowing in its defense of pop culture. Um, I did not bring this up then um, because I didn't want to divert the conversation the way it was going. But here's a good chance for me to bring this up. I think there is pop culture that is brain dumb. This is mind numbingly stupid. Okay. And you're better off not watching anything on TLC or anything that has real housewives in it. Or, uh, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, um, bachelor shows. Like, I think that these are all like, um, I, am sure there are people who will defend the, the, them, uh, against my sort of attacks. But I think that these are kinds of shows that, um, when you binge them, you get, your view of the world, your imagination about the world gets utterly skewed by that kind of like idiotic entertainment. It's the same reason I don't think anybody should watch cable news, right? Um, Fox or MSNBC. <laughs> I think, I think it's the same reason. I think it, it actually shapes your imagination of the world and the way that you can even imagine interacting with it, uh, in destructive ways. And so I do think there is a way in which, um, there is a kind of pop culture that Christians, should avoid not on any content level, but on a subliminal sort of um, almost Lacanian <laughs> level. So uh, I don't know what, what if you what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that too to an extent. Uh, so I, I think his point, and maybe I just think this is his point because he he cites Neil Postman, and it's Postman's point uh, is that the uh, the the danger isn't so much from you know Real Housewives of wherever wherever it is that they're from, uh, but the fact that Real Housewives and the news and the good shows are all carried to us through the same medium. Yeah. Right. So we're, we're watching them all on our tablets or on our smartphones or, or whatever. Uh, and what's happening there is that we're becoming the sort of people who learn things from our smartphones uh, and who learn things only when they're packaged in a certain way. Yeah. Right. Uh, only when it's carried to us through entertainment. That's that's the only time we learn anything. And if something's not entertaining, well, it must not be important. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that that was sort of my read. Which again, I, I might just be reading too much Postman into him. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and I, that's go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. no I was saying, in that sense, Real Housewives is much less dangerous because I'm I'm not likely to think that anything important is going on there. It's it's mindless entertainment and mindless entertainment isn't really the dangerous stuff. It's the important stuff that's disguised as mindless entertainment or mindless entertainment that's claiming to be important. That that's where you start to get into trouble because you can't you can't tell the difference anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a distinct difference between something of a stark difference between something like the good place and something like, um, any of these bachelor shows, for example. Right. Um, and I think for me, I guess where, where I'm coming at this is, I, I guess the, the medium thing is, let me, let me bracket that conversation for a minute and we can come back to it. Um, because I do think I'm, I'm actually still a big fan of Marshall McLuhan. <laughs> I know that he's like out of out of vogue for a lot of people, but I think he had a lot to say about how the means with which we consume um, entertainment, and I guess he's right in line with Postman here, um, is as important, if not more important, than the actual content of that information. I, I'm totally on board with that. But I do think that 
um, from a ideological perspective, things like so I'm thinking. Let me think about. Let me uh, let me go full Marxist here. There's a uh, a, a show was Undercover Boss. I think is what it was called. Um, mm-hmm. It came out. I saw one episode of it because it premiered after the Super Bowl. I think it was the Colt Saints Super Bowl for some reason. I remember this because I was watching it in Florida. Um, the um, um, uh, the show was basically the premise was some CEO of a company who uh, uh, has unhappy workers comes to a location of his of his enterprise right and pretends to be another new employee and gets to experience what it's like from their perspective and then he gives everybody he interacted with like some special gift at the end of the show and promises to do better right and so to me that came right on the heels of the financial crisis right that that came a couple of years after the financial crisis happened. And to me, that was an explicit way to justify the very uh, structures of inequality um, that are contained within the the corporate American system, right? Um, To justify it and to make us like not recognize that that people like that are actually responsible for what happened, right? Um, And so for me, there's an ideological problem with that. And if you buy that, if you watch that show and are entertained by it and find it moving in some way, you're subliminally like without que- you're you're not questioning the um, the ideology of it, which helps perpetuate the system of injustice. Okay, um, and and it's in uh, to me it's the same kind of argument that James Smith makes in Desiring the Kingdom, or in, I mean not in that book particularly, but in some of his work about going to an NFL game and how that um, reinforces through liturgical practices um, a belief in the American police state, right? And and, and the military industrial complex. I, I'm entirely compelled by that argument. And, and to me, it's the same kind of like ideological reading that a lot of these shows that people who are just simply entertained by them end up um, preparing themselves to perpetuate the, this hegemony, right? And here I'm talking like a total annoying English professor, I, I know. But um, <laughs> but that that's to me the big problem with that form of pop culture is that it's not subversive, okay? I, pop culture that is subversive, I think, has an, actually an ethical role. And so I didn't even ask you a question. I just like <laughs> No, no. I, I don't disagree that there are shows with bad content out there. Yeah. Uh, and that I mean, even some very good shows with bad content. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 my go-to is The West Wing, which uh, uh, I think I've I've only seen some of it, but what I've seen is excellent. Yeah. Uh, but it's I mean it's it's liberal fantasizing. Yeah. Uh, I mean. For me, and the, yeah. I, I was actually on the Pop Vox, Vox, Vox podcast talking about that show um, within the last year or so. I don't remember when that was. And and I actually think that that show is bad, too, <laughs> for the same reason. Huh. Because I think it, it gives liberals this, like, fantasy that they have the kind of moral high ground when they're really just part of the the larger sex system of exploitation uh, that, that – uh, that is really the the problem and not the style at which the policies are, are generated. Right. And so, yeah, to me, I think that I don't like the West wing for the, for the same exact <laughs> reason. So, although I have to say, I didn't watch much of that show. I mean, I, what I know about it is from like one season that I have seen and what I've read about it. So to be fair, it's, it's on my list to watch and it just takes a while to get to everything on that list. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. No. And I've given up trying to watch everything everyone tells me to watch because I can't possibly keep up. So, um, which I guess is a a nice segue into, I think an important question. Um, the way in which there is a major time commitment, uh, in 
making the decision to be relevant in your knowledge of pop culture, um, there's only so many hours in a day, right? And you are necessarily precluding doing other things. And I think this is another point of East Essay in which I, I largely agree. Um, right. uh, what are your thoughts on, and, and the binge watching is sort of a means by which that happens. And I guess this is where we're getting into McLuhan, right? Um, and, and so the binge watching is certainly a means in, by which that happens, but it's not the only one. So what are your thoughts on, on just the sheer time commitment? <laughs> Yeah, so there was an article that came out. Uh, I'm looking for it in my uh, links here because I'm going to be teaching it this semester. Uh, I don't even remember where it came out. Uh, it came out in the Weekly Standard of all places, uh, and it was it was basically arguing that you can just to, from a from a number of hours in your life perspective you can never watch all of the good stuff that there is to watch because there's Netflix and there's Hulu and there's Amazon and network TV is doing its own streaming stuff. And there's still stuff on network TV and there's all of the cable shows and there's HBO and there's, I mean, there's, there's all of this stuff. And honestly, a lot of it is really good. Yeah. Like the, the, the production production values have gone up and scripting has gone up and we, we are in kind of a golden age of television that's been going on for almost two decades. Yeah. And that's, that's just a ton of material, uh, and, and we'll never be able to watch it all. So there's, there's that side of the argument, uh, which actually I think is kind of a point in favor of film, uh, because you actually can watch a lot of the movies that come out in theaters every year. But of course now Netflix is, you know, and Amazon are making their own movies too. So right. even that's going to get more, more difficult. I mean, for crying out loud, Netflix has brought back chick flicks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> once, true. once they start cranking out the mid range budget movies again, they were, there's going to be a glut of these and we're never going to be able to keep up with them. Uh, but, uh, so there's that, that practical side of things, uh, which has uh, the, the weekly standard articles point was that that affects our culture. Like it, it's no longer the case that all Americans are watching the same three networks yeah. because just by definition, we, we can't, uh, which raises the question of what sort of cultural shaping do we have? Uh, and I, I asked that in one of my classes once and got kind of blank stares back. And after an hour we came up with uh, McDonald's and Marvel movies. <laughs> and that was, that was pretty like the, the two things that you can assume everyone knows something about uh, are McDonald's and Marvel movies. Uh, so there's, there's that side of it. And then he makes the point that's, that's not the point exactly that he makes. He makes the point that there's always something better to do. Yeah. You know, you could, you could be fishing or reading a book or spending time with your family or whatever. Uh, and I think that is obviously true. Yeah. So I he do, wins. <laughs> I, again, I, I agree with that. And I think that that's, um, I have run up against that frustration myself was I, people that I, I, I know have the same job that I have talk about all these shows that they watch all the time. And I'm just like, how on earth uh, do you have time to do this? I mean, I guess they're not doing a podcast and they're not, they're not doing some of the things that take up some of my time. Right. Um, but neglecting uh, families, Danny. Yeah. Well, I try not to do that. Actually. I, I'm pretty good about that lately. Uh, it was, it's so you said your people, your friends who are watching all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're, Oh, they're neglecting. Their <laughs> um, yeah, maybe they are. I don't know, but I honestly, I feel like, the point that you're making is exactly true. So much is being produced. There's no way you can watch it all. Right. And so I try to make up for that by reading. Um, I sort of glance through things like slate and daily beast and all that kind of thing every day. Of 
Well, just to sort of get the sense of what these people are, what the chattering classes are chattering about, sort of, right? And so, and then I have some some way to engage with that with that conversation, knowing that I don't have any kind of time to go back and now rewatch all of Game of Thrones. I, I know what happened. I get why it was important, and I get why people hated it, and I get why people loved it. And I don't have to, I don't feel the need now to actually go back and watch it and experience it for myself, right? Um, and so, I do think that there's something. This is kind of McLuhan has a, a concept that I think is maybe not an exact application to this, um, but I think it's close. I think he, he talks about amputation and extension at some point. And, and what he means by that is that any new technology kind of extends our capabilities, right? And so a bicycle, for example, extends our ability to um, move fast through the terrain, right? Um, but at, at the same time that it does that, it amputates our legs from their original purpose, okay? And so now we can't walk while we're riding the bicycle. So this new technology both extends our abilities and limits our abilities at the same time. And when you apply that question to binge watching, right? So we are able to consume more stuff now, right? But at the same time, it's sort of amputating our ability to do other things that maybe we were more naturally created to do. And so this is where East, I think, has a point, right? I, again, am not, and I don't think, when I first read this, I thought he was making a moral argument against the content of pop culture. And I don't think that's really what he's talking about. I think the core of it is this question. And I think he's largely right about that. Um, What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I think I have a better solution than uh, McLuhan or East's. And it's just a a really robust, thoroughgoing apathy. Like, (laughs) I don't care what other people are binge watching. Uh, I'm going to watch what I want to watch in the limited time I've got. And if it's not what's in the culture right now, so be it. That's, that's fine. Uh, and when I say I, it's, you know, my, my wife and I, we, we have our time when we watch a little bit of TV in the evenings and we, we kind of take turns picking shows and it's generally not whatever's new and trendy. And we're fine with that. I, here's where I kind of disagree with you, I guess you and East a little bit, um, is that, in a sense, it can be said, and I'm not saying this is your intent by any means, but it can be that apathy, as you put it, can be interpreted as um, a refusal to engage in community with with other people, right? And so, by not caring about the things they care about, like I, I could care less about football at this point in my life, sure. right? But I know everybody in freaking Steeler com- country, and I hate the Steelers. Okay, and so um, um, I know that they they worship this, right? And so, like right. to me, like in order to be a member of the community, I have to. I watch. I look at profootballtalk.com, which is a a really fun blog about football and they have videos. I watch those videos once or twice a week and I know everything I need to know to have a conversation with idiots who like football. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so the, that, that might be one place where sports in a place where there is one team, yeah. Uh, yeah, which is, doesn't, doesn't work for me here in Missouri because we have two baseball teams. We used to have two football teams. Now we only have one. So I guess that's, yeah. that's okay. But you know, with two baseball teams, you got to kind of pick a side, but with, with with especially with TV, and even to some extent with with movies, you're you're never going to be able to do it. Yeah, you're never going to be able to watch enough. You're never going to just because of the diversity of stuff that's out there. Yeah, uh, you're you're never going to win that. So, don't play the game. Watch, watch what you want to watch. So 
like I said, what, what we do is we, we watch kind of what we what we want to. And sometimes it's stuff that's on now. More often it's stuff from a few years back. But the stuff from a few years back, most people know. Yeah. Like it has entered the culture now. So we actually can talk about parks and recreation with someone. Yeah. Even if they haven't seen it, the odds are they know who Ron Swanson is. Yeah, so we, yeah. we can still engage in the community. Like we're, we're not isolating ourselves in that sense. Uh, just not not trying to keep up because – it's not possible to do anyway, and there are more important things. That's fair enough. Uh, I, 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 I accept that answer. And I, I, Coyle, I know you, and I know that you're you're of the best intention. I have no, I have no doubts about your character in that way. I don't know that that's true, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, no. I think that that's that's actually a fair enough conversation. And I guess it leads to the kind of final question I do want to address uh, for those of us in education. He makes the point at one point. Um, and I can't remember where this is, how his colleagues have kind of given up and just kind of bought into the need to um, uh, just incorporate. Ah, here it is. I have too many colleagues um, who have effectively admitted defeat in the long war between 20-year-olds' habits and the habits of the classroom. And I think that's a really interesting distinction. Like, the habit, this is the liturgies I'm talking about, right? Um, who thus not only employ various forms of visual media in class, assuming students cannot learn without them, but actively encourage and solicit students' use of and engagement with social and digital media and streaming entertainment in assignments outside class. Granting that there are appropriate forms of this, um, for example, in one course on Christianity and culture, one of my assignments is a film critique. I am thinking of more extreme versions of this defeatism. So, um, wh- what are your thoughts on on the on the em- engagement with pop culture in the classroom for educational purposes? I'm I mean, really I, of mixed mind here. Yeah, I, I get the temptation. I, I really do. Uh, I have colleagues who basically teach using YouTube. Yeah. Uh, because that's that's what the students do uh, they they know how to use it uh, again I, I think that as we we're just talking about you're you're never going to win that way because there's always going to be something more interesting than uh than whatever you're showing yeah right? uh, uh, there's always going to be something better that they would rather be watching they're still not going to pay attention uh and it's it's not going to do them any favors uh i do use media uh pop culture media, especially in the classroom. I basically only use pop culture media in the classroom, uh, but I cheat. Uh, I only use it to make the class longer and more full. Okay. Uh, so for example, this semester I'm teaching a film class, uh, politics and film class. And I tell them whenever I teach this first day of class, uh, we're going to be spending this. It's a block class in the evenings starting at six o'clock. And, you know, we're going to be watching movies between an hour and a half and three hours long, just depending on what movie we watch. Uh, that doesn't count towards class time. Like I'm still going to take my two and a half hours to lecture. Yeah. And uh, if we're here for five hours, we're here for five hours or six hours or whatever. Interesting. And because a chunk of that is watching a movie, it doesn't count. Yeah, so yeah. you guys can deal with it. Yeah. Um, so I, yes, I'm in favor of it as long as it's not detracting from the parts of the class that are actually good for them. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's, I, I agree with that. Like I actually, when I teach film classes, I have them watch the films outside of classes if, as if they were reading. I put a, a right. DVD of it in, on reserve in the library. And See, I, I do that too. Yeah. I just, yeah, that, that, that adds to what they have to do also. Yeah. I don't, I don't use typically class time. I have in the past, but honestly, if I'm honest with myself when I've done that, it's because 
I'm exhausted and in need of break from prep, right? And so we'll watch a sure. movie for a couple of days in class. Um, and so um, if I'm honest, that's what's what's really going on there. But um, the um, uh, what I would say to this though, and, and it could be a function of the discipline I teach in. I, I assume East teaches religion classes um, based on what I read here. Um, and, and I teach rhetoric um, and I teach uh, novel classes and, and movie classes and things like that, right? And so for me, I do use a lot of pop culture. Um, if I'm teaching rhetoric, I mean, I can't not show them commercials, for example, and and, sure. and that sort of thing. And, and there's uh, really... Uh, I, when I teach, I, there's a guy who ran for governor of Tennessee named Basil Marceau, uh, and it's really comically terrible. He's just like completely inept. It looks like a joke, um, but he actually did run. But his campaign commercial is always been gold for me in the classroom because he's doing everything that campaign commercials do, but he's doing everything so badly, you can sort of see the strings moving in a way you can't in a well-done commercial, right? And so I show that and we all laugh at him. And then we talk about the things that he's doing that is actually rhetorically effective, right? Um, But he just does them bad. So it gives us an ability to to parse out the pieces of it, right? Um, And so for me, when I that's indicative of what I do with pop culture is I try to find a way to bridge them from where they are to where what I'm trying to get them to, um, to look at, right. And take more seriously that might not be so, um, uh, attractive. Right. And so for me, right, but I, that doesn't count though. Okay. Cause you, that, there it's the substance that what you're showing is the substance of what you're teaching. You're not using that to teach something else. Th- that's true. And I, but I, I do it also to teach other things. Right. And so in a novel class, for example, when I'm teaching Philip Roth, I, t- I have a class on Philip Roth this upcoming semester. Um, I will certainly, um, show them, um, film clips of like, uh, I, from, I don't even know what show yet, but some show where you have sort of like um, ethnic humor, right, um, that they um, might appreciate, right, as a way to prepare them to appreciate what's going on in something like Goodbye Columbus, right, um, which just throwing the novel at them and expecting them to sort of get something that was written in 1959, right, uh, I, I, I think is kind of like – Um, unfair of me as a teacher. So I like to give them something that they are familiar with and then show them how the thing that is supposedly high art is actually engaged with the same questions that the thing that you think is fun um, is, right? And that's been successful for me in the classroom typically when I do that kind of thing. Um, And so that's where I kind of I, I, I am of mixed minds. I do think that there are people who want to make all of a rhetoric class just about exploring pop culture topics, right? And, and I don't think that's really useful, right? Um, right? And I think it's honestly disrespectful to your students to just assume that they're too dumb or too lazy or too whatever to appreciate this cool thing, right? This this difficult thing. And so um, I don't I don't get on board with that as East does and either, I don't think. But I do find very effective ways to use pop culture in the classroom um, as well. So um, that, that's, right. that's where I'm at. And it could be a function of my discipline, um, but go ahead. No, that's, that's, that's fair. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I think it depends on, uh, it depends on how you're using it. So when I teach on the presidency, one of the books that I don't know if I'll keep assigning it, but I, I used to assign, it's called the rise of the president's permanent campaign. It's about how the president is functionally always campaigning. And one of the components of that is social media, of mm. course. 
Uh, so we, we have to look at social media in class, but again, it's, I'm not showing them a documentary about the president's always campaigning. Right. And I'm, I'm instead showing them evidence to support the things that they've read in the book and that I'm covering in the lecture. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, I think there's a distinction there, uh, that's probably important. And just from the, from the side of the teacher, I would be really concerned about, that replacing our knowledge of the subject. Like uh, if it gets to the point where we're teaching using pop culture, uh, at what point are we doing that? Because we don't actually know what we're teaching and this is just easier. This is a really good question. Um, and I, uh, that's something that haunts me too. Um, because I, I, I know the limits of my intellect, right? And, I, and I'm actually right. somewhat self-conscious about about things that I don't understand. Uh, and so am I just sort of shortcutting things by, by giving them kind of um, – bubblegum versions of, of actual more robust things. Um, that is something definitely to consider. Um, yeah. Uh, a, a more concrete example that just came to mind is um, I, teaching a David Foster Wallace story recently. Uh, it, it falls into what um, a lot of people call metamodernism. It's like something that comes after postmodernism. And in fact, Christian Humanist podcast did an episode on metamodernism years ago that I was on. Um, that was Michael Farmer's thing. Um, the uh, the idea was that Wallace was trying to overcome postmodernisms. He's still using sort of postmodern techniques, but to but he's trying to he sees the limits of irony, right, and the destructive like corrosive nature of irony, and he's trying to get towards something that's sincere in a postmodern world, right? And and so in a way to, to kind of explain that, we would watch things like Community, right, or even Parks and Rec, right, which are doing the same thing. They have the same kind of appearances of things that are postmodern and ironic, but there's actually something very sincere and sweet and loving underneath of all those things. Right. And so uh, that's another example of me trying to, although I doubt any of my students, frankly, have ever watched community. Right. But, um, but at least it's a sitcom that's recent that they might laugh at. So, Um, (laughs) but yeah. Um, Coyle, uh, do you have any other like thoughts that you think we should get to before we wrap this one up? Yeah, I don't, uh, well, I'm supposed to save something for the post game, right? So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Let, let, thank you for the pitch. Yeah. For those of you who uh, want to hear more from us, uh, Coyle and I are going to continue a conversation that will unfortunately only be available to a certain level of patrons. So if you look us up on Patreon, uh, you can find out how to subscribe and get access not only to this uh, conversation, this is sort of extended conversation, but um, other episodes as well, as well as sort of behind the scenes video footage. You can sort of see what we look like moving, moving arms and legs and stuff. And uh, (laughs) the poor people, yes, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that that's something anyone wants to do. And maybe that's what's cutting into my Patreon profits. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, anybody who is in, is interested in that, uh, please do consider that. Um, for, um, those of you who are uh, going to be listening on the Patreon feed, we will continue the conversation there. For those of you who are not, I love the conversation with you way more than I love your money. Okay. And so please, um, feedback or give us some feedback about what you've heard. Um, we have a Facebook page. If you just look up sectarian review on Facebook, you'll find us. Um, I have usually links to the show notes on Facebook and people will comment on each show um, there. There is also a uh, Twitter account. Uh, if you look up Sectarian Review on Twitter, it's just at Sectarian 
Sectarian Review. You can uh, you can contact us there. You can email us at uh, sectarianreview at gmail.com. There's a, a website, uh, www.sectarianreview.com, sectarianreviewpodcast.com, and, uh, and you can find links to all these things there. But um, the big thing is I want to um, just sort of extend the conversation one last Patreon thing that I just remembered, though. Um, we also have this sort of behind the scenes. Are you in the, the private Facebook uh, com- uh, group, Coyle? Uh, I think so. Okay. Uh, Unless yeah. there's like another super no, duper no, Illuminati private one. There's not a super duper one. There's a private one that contributors and um, patrons uh, get access to. And and I that often gets a lot more honest and, and a lot more uh, fun uh, at times just because they're off of our public feeds. And so uh, anybody interested in um, – talking to us in sort of more off the books, uh, off the record, excuse me, uh, ways can, can reach us there. But, um, the point I want to make is that I really value the conversation that the show allows me to have with really smart people like coil, like all of you listeners. I, I, um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Uh, and whether or not you give me any money, that's sort of just to cover my costs here. Uh, I'm more interested in extending the conversation. And so please don't hesitate, uh, to tell us what you think about what we've talked about here. You you see me, my, my mic technique, I'm pulling away as I'm trying to hit my thing. So, uh, there we go. Uh, some music. There it is. Uh, and so the music, I am going to, in uh, when I get some free time, actually produce a uh, an outro because I am so bad at ending the show uh, and it's an embarrassment to me personally. And so uh, look for that in the, uh, the coming weeks, but it hasn't happened yet because I haven't had time. But for Coyle Neal and for me, Danny Anderson, I thank you for listening to this episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast and uh, look forward to seeing you again. <laughs>